There is no worse pain than the pain inflicted by a friend turned enemy. How many people can say they've had a friend who became their enemy? In Psalm 35, David is dealing with enemies who were once his closest friends. They were so close, in fact, that David considered them family. These once friends were now seeking his life and plotting his destruction. Like his descendants, David had his own set of Judases. And thus he cries out against the injustice. He laments the treachery of these former friends and asks God to come to his defense. For anyone who has ever experienced the pain and suffering of a friend's betrayal, Psalm 35 offers a prayer of appeal for comfort from betrayal. A prayer of appeal for comfort from betrayal. We're going to look at Psalm 35, the first 10 verses, and we'll see David's prayer. Then verse 11 to 18, David's plaint. And finally, in verses 19 to 28, David's plea. Verse 1, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. Let destruction come upon him unaware, and let the net which he hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall, and my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in his salvation. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the afflicted from him? Who is too strong for him? And the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. Now in David's opening words here, he invokes a, a courtroom scene as he's asking God to be his defense attorney. Plead my case is what he's asking. Plead my cause, O Lord. Contend for me. And then notice the image shifts from a courtroom to a battlefield in verses 2 to 3. Take up a buckler and take up a shield, take up a spear. Now, we all know what a spear is. We're all familiar with a shield. But what is a buckler? A buckler is a type of shield that's a larger shield. So the shield here, the uh, Hebrew word uh, magin for shield, and then we have buckler, which is sinah, that Sana or buckler is a large rectangular wood covered in leather shield which covers the entire body. The magin, the small shield, you know, that would be something they could just hold in their arm and, and uh, defend themselves with, but it didn't cover the entire body. It probably covered the chest area. But a buckler covers the entire body. And so the shield and the buckler is a twofold defense, but the spear is for an offense. And David asked God to take the spear and stop those who pursue him. David becomes explicit, okay? Due to his enemies, those who are plotting to hurt him, he says, put them to shame, bring them to dishonor. He wants them to, to uh, basically be destroyed. Let them be like the chaff before the wind. 
you know, uh, in, in ancient times, they would bring the grain, the wheat, whatever, into the to the mill, and they'd begin to grind it down and so forth, and they'd begin to winnow it with a fork, and as the wind would blow through, it would blow away the chaff, the stuff that was useless, the trash, if you will, and the seed, the good, would fall to the ground to be collected up. And so he wanted them to be ground down, and the, and the chaff that's left behind, the waste that's left behind, to be, to be blown away. This is very explicit about his enemies who were once his friends. He asks that they be chased by God's avenging angel. He says, as they treat, may their way, may their route be dark and slippery. Not only does he not want them to be able to see where they're going, he says, I want them to fall before the angel of the Lord that's pursuing them. And the reason for invoking this judgment will become clear in verse 7. His enemies have plotted against him, notice this, without cause without cause. Like hunters, they set a trap for him. They dug a hole and covered it over, seeking to trap him, seeking for his life. David asked that the enemy, his enemy, be caught by his own treachery. Lord, turn their traps, turn their nets on them. Let them be caught in their own traps. Let, them, let, them, let their traps be sprung upon them unaware, unexpectedly. Let his net that he has hidden catch himself so that his destruction will be brought about. And the word destruction that's used there, the Hebrew word means devastation or ruin. Let them be brought to ruin. He wants God's judgment upon them to be complete. Here we see that David is praying for divine retribution. And you know, when we think about divine retribution, there is God's active intervention. But at the same time, there's an aspect of of, of uh, divine retribution that is not just God actively intervening, but there's also the inevitable self-destruction of the wicked. Listen, the wicked will self-destruct. It's inevitable, okay? They can only go so long, so far before they destroy themselves. And that's what Dave's praying. Let them, let them, let God's judgment be complete. Now, anticipating God's action, verse 9, David turns to praise. I'm going to be joyful in the Lord in his salvation, in my deliverance. And, you know, and, and, and he says, with all my bones, I'm going to profess and praise Yahweh's uniqueness. Lord, who is like you? Who is like the Lord? Well, think about this. God delivers the poor from the clutches of the strong. He, he protects them from those who, uh, who plunder the needy. He shows that he is the living, true, merciful God. And when you think about God and you think about an idol, consider this. The idol can look good, the idol can look rich, the idol can look powerful, but you know what? The idol does nothing. God, however, gives grace to the weak, gives help to the oppressed, and shows his love to those who need it. Just as he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. If you've ever been in that situation where a friend has become an enemy, you need to pray to God. You need to pray to God. It's not incumbent upon you to go out and seek to do judgment against them. It's up to you to pray for God to do that. You know, we have to love our enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use us. But part of that praying may be to pray for punitive judgment. 
Certainly, we would love to see God rescue them. Certainly, we would love to see God deliver them, save them, awake them, restore them. But as well, we, we, there's nothing wrong with us lamenting in our prayer to God and praying for punitive judgment. God, this is what they're doing. You deal with them. And that's the key, folks, because when we let God deal with them, it keeps our flesh at bay. Because certainly we want to deal with it. Our flesh kicks in and, and we, we, man, we've got the whole plan. We know what we're going to say and how we're going to say it, when we're going to say it, and where we're going to say it, and how we're going to do it. Wait a minute. Don't stoop to their level. And that's exactly what happens when our flesh gets involved. And so our responsibility is to pray to God. Now look at David's plaint in verse 11 to 18. Malicious witnesses rise up to ask me of things that I do not know. They repay my, me evil for my good to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my, cloth, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. My prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about as though it were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters who I did not know gathered together against me. They slandered me without ceasing like godless jesters at a feast. They gnashed at me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among the mighty throng. You know, David's tragedy, the situation becomes very clear now. These malicious witnesses that were attacking him were once his friends. He loved them. When they were sick, his clothing was sackcloth. He humbled himself. He fasted on their behalf. And yet, my prayers would return to my own heart. You know, have you ever been in that place where you have gone over and above and beyond for somebody? That friend who's like a family member who you've just cared so much about. You've done, you've done, and you've done. And they have just what? Become your enemy. They've, they, they've just treated you with despite. They've just cast you aside. And David's recalling here, listen, I did this for them. He says, I treated them as family, as they were, they were my, not just my friend, but my brother. I mourned for them as I would mourn for my own mother. And yet, they were traitors. You know, those of us who know intimate, who, 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 those who know us intimately can hurt us the most severely. That's the threat of close relationships. Now, does that mean we shouldn't have close relationships? No. Okay, that's not God's way. But understand that because people are sinners, there is that potential. And David himself experienced just that. He experienced the pain of his former friends now delighting in his adversity. That word adversity here uh, means to stumble. Um, and it, it indicates that there was a change, a sudden change in David's situation. Whether it was uh, uh, an illness or what, we don't know the specifics of it. I mean, we can go through the text and we can say, well, maybe it was uh, Absalom's rebellion, maybe it was the rape of Tamar, maybe it was the, you know, there's different events we can look at, but we can't say for sure which it is. But whatever it was, weak, David's in a weakened state, whether it's emotionally, physically, or politically, but his former friends who were like family now turn around and attack him like enemies. And all the while, he was ignorant of what they were doing behind his back. They tore at him like wild beasts. 
That's a metaphor for slander. His attackers became just like Judas. You know, when you do read through First and Second Samuel and see the rebellion and the war and such, so often David received it from the ones he loved and trusted the most. And David calls upon the Lord in his distress. He expresses frustration because God seems to be inactive. Lord, listen, I'm praying. Why aren't you doing something? Let's go. Come on. Hop to it. Lord, how long will you look on? Now listen, God saw the calamity. God saw it. He wasn't ignorant of it. But for David, he'd had enough. And so, Lord, rescue me, restore my soul, deliver me from the, my enemy's destructions, from these lions. And when you do, I will give praise to you in the great assembly. That's probably during one of the feasts, whether it's Passover, Pentecost, or atonement. David's praise for what the Lord has done will be public. Folks, when we lay out our prayer and our plea to God, when we lay out our plaint to God and tell him, listen, this is what they're doing, this is what's happening. Lord, what are you waiting for? Make sure that you also tell God, listen, I'm ready to praise you. I'm ready to declare, I'm ready to worship, I'm ready to witness of what you have done. And then when God does act, make sure that you declare what God has done publicly before other believers. Now let's notice here in the last verses, David's plea, verse 19 and 28. Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously, for they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They open their mouths wide against me. They said, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You've seen it, O Lord. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself. Awake to my right and to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. And do not let them rejoice over me. Do not let them say in their heart, Aha, our desire. Do not let them say we have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who rejoice at my distress. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. And let them say continually the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. Notice as he's done already but he returns to a description of his enemies. And he asks for both deliverance from them and protection from them. Let them not rejoice over me. Let them not wink maliciously. You know, here are his enemies who hate him unjustly, that is, without cause, who, who are taking joy in whatever David's struggles are. You know, they're, they're looking at him saying, oh, look at those guys. Look at that guy, man. He's just going to fall on his face. You know, I remember a situation where um, myself and the deacons were told because we, we, we had to deal with an issue we dealt with it we uh, dealt with it to, to the, the, in a manner that would appease God and we were told you're going to fall on your face you know and in that case the enemies you know they, 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 they were having their moment they thought hey man without us you're going to fall flat on your face and I got news for you by God's grace we didn't fall flat on our face because we put it into God's hands and we let God do it. Now certainly, you know, we, we had our moments of how, how is this going to happen. We did a lot of praying and, you know, we were trying to come up with, with plans and so forth. But you know what? 
because we committed ourselves to God, because we said, you know, we were willing to, to step out and do it God's way and, 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 and act in a manner that would glorify God, God delivered. And when those enemies laughed and mocked and scorned and gossiped and maligned and threatened that, oh, you'll fall on your face, guess what? That didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. In fact, God had the final laugh. They can plot, and they will. You can count on it. They're full of treachery. They've got deceitful words. Oh, man, they'll tell you what you want to hear when you want to hear it, but they're only doing it for their own benefit. They wink with the eye. Moreover, they mock. They open their mouths wide against David. They were taunting him. Ha ha ha. Look at his misfortune. And again, David cries out in verse 17 and 18 for divine intervention. He prays for vindication. Now the word vindication here is interesting because it's mispot, which is judgment. For David, God is the true witness of his heart. You have seen, O Lord, you've seen them and you've seen me. Now you judge. Don't keep silent. Don't be far from me. You know, the fact that he could, could make such a statement that, hey, look at them and look at me and vindicate me according to your righteousness proves to us that David had a good relationship at this point with God. David was not guilty of sin here before God. To be able to stand before a holy God and say, listen, examine my life and examine their lives and you'll see who the, who the treacherous one is, that's a bold statement. And I would encourage you that, listen, if you pray like that, and we should, but we should only pray like that when we can honestly say that we are in right fellowship with God. God, vindicate me. Well, listen, you want to pray for God to vindicate you, you best make sure that you're right with God. David calls for the Lord to judge him according to his righteousness, again, an, an, an attestation to his innocence, but he wants his traitors, his enemies, lies and plots to cease. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Lord, don't let them say we've destroyed him. He says, furthermore, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor. And when David is vindicated, and he would be, those who would stand with him, who favor his righteous cause, will cry out and shout for joy and be glad. See, listen, you know, yeah, David was the one who was being afflicted, but you know what? There were others in his circle, others in his sphere, that were also being affected by what David was going through. And when God would vindicate David, not only would David be able to rejoice, but these others would be able to rejoice. See, people are watching. We've got to remember that. People are watching. It's more than just you being afflicted and affected. They're being affected as well. And David, uh, you know, he goes on to say here that he is going to join in the witness and the worship of God. He's going to speak of God's righteousness. He's going to praise God all the day long. You know, my friends, we probably could all, many of us, if not all of us, can attest to the fact of being betrayed by a close friend. And I believe that this psalm is a very fitting lesson for how to pray when we've been in that situation. And certainly we think of Christ's command in Matthew 5, 43 to 44, to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us. You know, loving our enemies means that 
We're not going to hate them. We're not going to return evil for evil against them. We're not, it doesn't mean that, oh yeah, they're my enemy and they're doing this to me, but hey, I'm still going to invite them to sit at my table. No, you, no listen, you can't break bread in that situation. Um, you know, it, it, it's difficult, if not impossible, to have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. So the idea, though, of loving my enemy and doing good to them means that, you know, I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm not going to treat them treacherously. You know, uh, if I see them, I'm going to be polite. I'm not going to be rude. Uh, you know, even if, hey, listen, you know, if I saw them broke down along the side of the road, my flesh's tendency is to say, ha, oh, man, they got what was coming to them. And maybe they did get what was coming to them. But it may be my responsibility to pull over and say, hey, can I help you? Again, that doesn't mean you're going to be in a relationship with them. Um, you know, and, and and again, I mean, I just, you know, not getting into the whole psychology of this and so forth. Uh, but when you've been used and abused by someone and God rescues you out of that situation, awakens you to that situation and, uh, you know, either helps you or directs others to help you to get out of that situation, you don't put yourself back in that same situation, okay? So, you know, don't, don't read, love your enemy and do good to those who persecute you and assume that you're supposed to be their rug for them to walk all over and wipe their feet on. No, that's not the case. Uh, you still need to distance yourself from them. You still need to be aware that they are, they are your enemy. You need to be aware of what they're possibly doing, can do, would do. Okay, don't fool yourself, but you need to commit them to God. You can't take it upon yourself to deal with them, to, to pass judgment upon them. Um, again, David here is praying for punitive justice, not redemptive justice. You know, if he was praying for redemptive just, justice, he would have asked that God condemn them to hell. That's not what he's praying for. He's praying for punitive justice or in the sense that he wants them to be dealt with here and now. And, and, and again, why? You know, because David wants God to be glorified. That's first. Uh, because David's afraid that as they attack David, it's going to reflect on God. And again, how often is that our actual mindset? Oh, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray God gets even with them so, because they've hurt me. Well, right away, you've got to stop again and back up the train and, and see, wait a minute. My first reason for praying for punitive justice isn't because they've hurt me, but the potential is they've, all, they, they've hurt God's glory. They've stopped God's worship. They've stopped God's witness. You know, we've got to, we've got to realize first and foremost what is their action to me? Ultimately, how's that reflecting upon God? And, uh, and, and as we move through that prayer for punitive justice, we need, still need to be praying for them to be brought to what? Repentance so that they can be forgiven. God judge them. You know, give them, give punitive judgment here uh, for whatever they've done to me. May the same be done to them. But... Make sure that your motive isn't for you to get even. Your motive isn't for you to get uh, a vengeance, but that your motive is that they may be brought to the place of repentance and ultimately reconciliation. That's the key that we're supposed to be praying for. That was David's point in praying. And, you know, really, that is the heart of the gospel. You know, the gospel is all about punitive justice. See, we, we are doomed. We're damned to hell and the lake of fire. But because of the gospel, because of the good news of the gospel, uh, we repented of our sin 
and we've been regenerated and we've been restored to right relationship with God. We've been forgiven. We, we were gifted with faith and the ability to repent. We repented of our sin and God forgave us. And that's what we need to do. Okay? Now again, you know, well, I should just, you know, I'll just forgive them and forget it. No. There's got to be a change on their part. And your responsibility in seeing that change isn't to go after them, isn't to seek out, a, you know, a pound of flesh out of them. Your responsibility is to pray an imprecatory prayer. Your responsibility is to pray a prayer like Psalm 35. Lay out to God exactly who they are, what they're doing, why they've done it, how you feel about it. But again, make sure that your first reason in praying is because of God's glory. You know? And that it's not just, oh God, you, you deal with them because they treated me badly. Okay? Uh, it's got to go beyond that. Uh, they've robbed you of glory. Um, and then again, make sure that you're very careful not to, to guard your heart so that you're not praying this prayer to make yourself feel better, to pray this prayer not to get even or get vengeance, but ultimately that justice would come, that judgment would be meted out, but that God willing, they might come to repentance, they might come to their senses, come to you, repent, and then be restored to a right relationship. Father God in heaven, I thank and praise you for Psalm 35, a difficult psalm. Uh, these imprecatory psalms are not easy. They're difficult uh, because they, they go against many times how we uh, think, how we act in our Western world, and our Western culture. Uh, but Father, uh, when injustice happens, we're to pray. And we're to take it to you. And we're to ask you to deal with it. We're to ask you to mete out judgment and justice. And Father, I pray for anyone, Lord, who's now dealing with a similar issue. Someone who's been betrayed by a, by a friend but we're even a family member, that, Father God, you would work upon their heart so that they not become bitter. Work upon the guard their heart, Lord, through your Spirit so that uh, they would not take matters into their own hand and seek a pound of flesh, that they not act in their own flesh, but that, Father, your Spirit might instruct them to humble themselves and to pray. To pray for justice. To pray that, Lord, you would deal with their enemy. And not just to satisfy their flesh, but deal with their enemy so that you get the glory. Deal with their enemy so that their enemy comes to, for, to, comes to repentance and perhaps even salvation. Pray to you that perhaps, for venture, if you be willing, they might come to repentance and be reconciled. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.